الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا رسول الله All praises are due to Allah, the creator, the cherisher, and the sustainer of this universe. And may his peace and blessings be upon his noble prophet Muhammad and his descendants and his companions and his followers, dear respected brothers and sisters. Jazakumullah khairan for coming on time. Actually, before I start my third session, before I start my third session, I need to talk to you about something else. You know, all of us, alhamdulillah, try to take Prophet Muhammad as an example. He's the best example for all people. So those among us who are parents, we take him as an example in parenting. Those among us who are married, we take him as an example as a husband and as a, a, a married person. Those among us, of course, all of us are friends. We have friends. We take him as an example in how he dealt with his friends. We take him as an example as a teacher. We take him as an example as many things, negotiator, a warrior, all these things. But who among us takes him as an example as a abd, as a servant, a servant of Allah? Because that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described him in Surah Al-Isra, Subhana ladhi asra bi'abidihi laylan min al-Masjid al-Harami ila al-Masjid al-Aqsa. Glory be to the one who sent his servant in a night journey from al-Masjid al-Haram to al-Masjid al-Aqsa. He was also mentioned as i'abd. وَلَمَّا قَامَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ يَدْعُوهُ قَادُوا يَكُونُونَ عَلَيْهِ لِبَدَا When the servant of Allah stood up praying, they gathered around him, stifling him. So he was mentioned as Abd, as a servant. He was sitting one day eating and he was bowing down until literally his forehead was about to touch the food. And Lady Aisha said, come on, what's wrong? Why don't you sit upright and eat comfortably? Why don't you tell me to bring you something like a cushion to lean on and eat comfortably? He said, and who am I? I am just Abd. I am a servant. I sit like a servant and I eat like a servant. Many people don't know that Prophet Muhammad was rich. He was not poor. He had 20% of all the spoils of war according to the Islamic teachings. But he lived like a poor and he acted like a poor person. He wanted to feel the poor. He said, Allahumma ahyini miskinan wa amitni miskinan wa ahshurni fi zumrati al-masakeen. Oh Allah, let me live as a humble person and die as a humble person and raise me among the humble people. Poverty is not something good, but there are poor people among us. The problem is we do not feel their suffering until we ourselves humble ourselves to feel their suffering. I'm telling you this actually because there's a new campaign that you will hear about soon by Made in Europe uh, organization, which is an organization of Muslims mainly, and they will start a campaign calling people to live for five days under one pound. You eat every day under one pound for five days. Try living like a poor person. And I actually uh, want to know who among you is ready to take this challenge and try to live for five consequent days under one pound. I'm raising my hand because I'm one of them. I announced that I will do that. I'm not going to do that with the intention that I want to lose weight, even though I want to lose weight and I need to lose weight. But I'm going to do that out of the intentions that I want to feel what the poor people feel. Alhamdulillah, we have like 30 people who raised their hands. Jazakumullah khairan. And let's start the uh, reflections on Surah An-Nur. I give you a homework last time. I told you to think about the ayah that says, إِذْ تَلَقَّوْنَهُ بِأَلْسِنَتِكُمْ 
وتقولون بأفواهكم ما ليس لكم به علم وتحسبونه هينا وهو عند الله عظيم The verse that we will start from today is When you received it with your tongues and spoke with your mouth things you did, you did not know to be true, you thought it was trivial, but to God it was very serious. And I told you, you see, when I, when, I, when I read the ayah, I said, when you received it with your mouth, and I pointed at my ear, because automatically I pointed my, at my ear, because actually usually people receive the news with their ears, not with their tongues. Why did Allah say in the Quran, when you received it with your tongues, people receive with their ears, not with their tongues. Who contemplated upon this? Who reflected upon it? Yes, what did you find? So we just say what we hear. You would say. Uh, your, calm, your, your tongue rejects or confirms. So if you repeat, it's you're accepting what you heard. What, did you, what do you think? Huh? Same thing? Anything else? Actually, people receive with their ears. But if you receive with your ear, your tongue will confirm what it believes to be true. So when you receive with your ear, the information will go through your mind and you will think about it and then say it. When Allah said, you received it with your tongue, it means that you were like parrots, just repeating what you don't know if it's true or not. You did not even think about the harm that it can cause. So you should have received it with your ears, passed it through your minds and thought about it before you say, you say or not, before you... you, you uh, repeat or not. Actually, it's like another way of telling people who just repeat the rumors and spread the rumors without thinking about it and about the harm that it can do and about the destruction that it can cause to some people's lives that you are like parrots. Parrots who just repeat what they don't understand. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتَقُولُونَ بِأَفْوَاهِكُمْ مَا لَيْسَ لَكُمْ بِهِ عِلْمٍ And you say with your tongues, and you say with your mouth, things you did not know to be true, what you don't know about, you don't have knowledge about it. Here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks a lot about knowledge. That about before you speak, you should uh, seek knowledge, you should... Uh, um, confirm first that what you know and what you're going to say is the true information. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Isra also, verse number 36 says, Do not follow blindly what you do not, to, what you do not know to be true. Ears, eyes and heart, you will be questioned about all these. So this shows us the objectivity of the Quran that tells us to ascertain, ascertain before you just speak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu ijtanibu kathiran minal dhanni inna ba'da al-dhanni ith wala tajassasu wala yaghtab ba'dukum ba'dan ayuhibbu ahadukum an ya'kula lahma akhihi maytan fakarihtumuh wattakullaha inna allaha tawabur rahim. This is in Surah Al-Hujurat. Believers avoid making too many assumptions. Some assumptions are sinful. And do not spy on one another or speak ill of people behind their backs. Would any one of you would like to eat the flesh of your dead brother? No. So Allah is comparing backbiting to eating the flesh of a brother alive. You eat the flesh of a brother well, you know, uh, no, uh, uh, dead, uh, what, after he becomes dead. You would hate it. So be mindful of God. God is ever relenting, most merciful. Also the Prophet wasallam. there's a hadith narrated by Abdullah ibn Umar, says, I saw the Prophet, peace be upon him, circumambulating the Kaaba, 
saying ما أطيبك وأطيب ريحك وما أعظمك وأعظم حرمتك how good you are talking to the Kaaba and how good your fragrance how great you are and how great is your sanctity by the one in whose hand is the soul of Muhammad making he's now uh, uh, swearing by Allah the sanctity of the believer is greater before Allah than your sanctity speaking about the Kaaba the sanctity of the believer is greater than the sanctity of the Kaaba his wealth and to th and to say and to think anything but good about him his blood his wealth and to think anything but good about him more it's a bigger sanctity than the kaaba the blood of your brother you cannot touch your brother and harm him physically the wealth of your brother you cannot take one pound from your brother wrongfully cannot steal from your brother you cannot take anything from your brother wrongfully and the third is you cannot even think about him anything but good all this is more important before Allah than the Kaaba itself and Allah says in the same ayah you thought it was trivial you thought it was not important you thought it was something simple but to god it was very serious therefore spreading rumors is a major sin by the ayah by the quran because some people think no 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 major sins are drinking and fornicating and excuse me and spreading rumors too according to the ayah because the ayah says and you think it's trivial but for Allah it is so serious which means it's a major sin to spread rumors besides thinking that something is trivial doesn't really make it trivial if you think that something is something light it's not very important doesn't make it very important it is a major sin it is something serious even if you don't know that then you should just seek knowledge the verse number 16 says when you heard the lie why did you not say we should not repeat this god forbid it's a monstrous slander this is a a genius solution that Islam came with to bury rumors. When a rumor starts in an Islamic society, it should be buried before it spreads. It shouldn't spread if people do that, which is not allow the, the one who is saying the rumor, saying the lie, to continue. We should stop him. Stop him. It's not enough that you don't repeat it, you should stop him. I want you to notice the educational tone in it. As if the Quran is teaching its students how to react when they hear the rumors. See, the verse says, when you heard the lie, why did you not say we should not repeat this? God forbid, it's a monstrous slander. Allah is teaching you how to react. And Allah teaches, by the way, Allah can be your own teacher in Surah Al-Baqarah. Have taqwa, fear Allah, and Allah will teach you. Many of us are very proud of their teachers. I say, my teacher is Sheikh Qaradawi. I'm proud of him. Someone says, my teacher is Sheikh Bin Baz. He's proud of him. My teacher is so... so. How about Allah becoming your teacher? Allah can become your own teacher. If you fear Allah. He will teach you. And here, the verse is teaching us that we should not allow rumors to spread. What's a rumor? A rumor is any news without evidence. Any bad news about anyone without evidence. If someone just says things about people without evidence, without uh, uh, um, um, witnesses with him, we should stop him. In case of sexual accusations, there should be four witnesses. If there is no four witnesses, if there is three witnesses, 
then they are liars, even if they are not liars. If one, if two people came and told you, we saw uh, the, our friend so-and-so fornicating, stop them, tell, you are liars. If three people say so, tell them you are liars. If they are four, then wait. It's a way to end this tradition, to end rumors. The Muslim society is a rumor-free society. So no one should even continue listening to the slanderer. And the slanderer should be stopped. It's the A is like telling us, do not accept that this is said about anyone in your presence because defending others' honor makes your own honor defended in your back. <coughs> if you want your own honor to be defended in your back, defend other people's honor. <coughs> also, this shows that not only the slanderer committed a sin, but also the listener committed the sin, even if the listener will not sp spread or propagate the rumor. Stop him. Of course, the one who just spreads or just yani, repeats by saying, I heard Fulan saying so and so about Fulan. It's not allowed. And he is considered a slanderer. And that's exactly what Mistah, the uh, cousin of Abu Bakr Siddiq, who was a part of the slander of Lady Aisha did. He just accepted what Hassan said. Hassan ibn Thabit, another companion. And what Hassan said is, I heard such and such saying so about Lady Aisha. He didn't say that she did anything. The one who just listened and laughed was considered a slanderer, and the one who just repeated was considered a slanderer, exactly like the others who started and launched the rumors. And the Prophet ﷺ warned from that, and he said, It's a bad riding beast for a man to say, which is, they asserted. When someone just repeats and you tell him, how did you know? They say, they asserted that. I heard people saying that. The Prophet said, that's the bad riding beast for anyone. It's like you are, you are just taking this as, a, as an excuse to repeat a rumor. That's not good. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mu'minun is praising the believers by saying, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ how prosperous are the believers, those who pray humbly and those who shun idle talk. Idle talk, spreading rumors, things that, that are nonsense. So we shouldn't, the verse says shun idle talk, which means don't even mix with people who keep speaking about others. Don't mix with them. And then Allah says in verse number 17 in Surah An-Nur, يَعِذُكُمُ اللَّهُ أَن تَعُودُوا لِمِثْلِهِ أَبَدًا إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ God warns you never to do anything like this again if you are true believers. To reflect upon this, do not despair of the mercy of Allah, even if you fall in something like that. Here Allah is telling them, Allah warns you never to do that again, which means Allah has forgiven them after all what they participated in, after taking part in this terrible thing. Allah is forgiving them, just telling them, don't do that again. Which means that a believer may fall in a sin. But a believer should not repeat the sin. A believer should learn from his mistakes, but not fall, keeps falling in them again and again and again. And look at the verse when it says, God warns you never to do that, anything like that again, if you are true believers. So the verse links faith and belief with the attitude and conduct, with the manners. So behavior and good conduct is a manifestation of your faith. 
If you have good conduct, that's a manifestation that you are a believer. But if you pray five times in the mosque, and you recite the, Quran, uh, the Quran, but you speak about people, then there is something wrong with your ibadah. Because your ibadah is not forbidding you from doing indecency. There's something wrong with your ibadah then. If you're someone who prays a lot, who fasts a lot, but you speak about people and you backbite people, something is wrong with your ibadah then. And Allah says in verse number 18, وَيُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ God makes his messages clear to you. God is all-knowing, all-wise. These short verses are not there for just being there. They, they mean a lot. Allah says, God makes his messages clear to you. Because he knows that in the 20th, in 20th century and the 21st century, some people will be philosophers and say, um, hudud are very barbaric. Uh, can we punish for these crimes but with different punishments that are accepted nowadays? So Allah says, His messages are clear. My messages are clear. God is all-knowing, all-wise. So don't think yourself wiser than Allah. Some people think themselves smarter than Allah. So yeah, okay, that's true that this is a crime, but I have a better idea. We are going to take them to a place where they will, excuse me, Allah says, my messages are clear. I am the all-knowing, all-wise. When something goes wrong with your uh, Citroën car, the best company to fix it is Citroën. Why? Because they made it. So they know every little tiny part in it. They know what they, when they hear this sound, then probably this part needs to be changed. Allah is the one who made us. So he knows what, what fixes us. He knows what fixes our life. Don't tell me that you know better than Allah. Verse number 19. <laughs> A painful punishment waits in this world and the next for those who like indecency to spread among the believers. God knows and you know not. This verse is not talking about sinners. This verse is talking about people who spread the sin, who are promoting sins. Listen again. A painful punishment waits in this world and the next for those who like indecency to spread among the believers. It doesn't speak about people who practice indecency. It speaks about people who spread indecency. Maybe they themselves are not practicing it for any reason, but just they, they, they spread it. They, they, are, they like to see it spreading. They promote it. So you, you see a tone of firmness in the verse that no one will escape in this life or in the hereafter from the punishment of the law of Allah. And there's a distinction in the verse between the sinners and those who spread the sins in society. Because they are the source of evil. There are many people like that. Some journalists who spread lewdness or publish women's pictures with <laughs> eroticism and uh, to increase sales to sell their magazines, to sell their newspapers. So they, they publish these things. They like these things to spread. Hardly when you can find like a newspaper without these kind of erotic uh, pictures. Why? It increases their sales. It brings more advertisers. Those people are warned in this verse, actually. And the Prophet ﷺ spoke about that, said, Whoever introduces a good practice that is followed, he will receive its reward and a reward equivalent to that of those who follow it without the, de the detracting from their reward in their slightest. And whoever introduces a bad practice that is followed, he will receive its sin 
and a burden of sin equivalent to that of those who follow it without that detracting from their burden in the slightest. And listen how the verse ends. Amazing. And Allah knows and you know not. This verse, by the way, Allah knows and you know not, came four times in the Quran. Twice in Al-Baqarah, and once in Al-Imran, and once in Al-Nur. And it always like, it was a misconception in my head. For so many years. The Quran is the word of Allah. It has to be precise. This verse says, Allah knows and you know not. I know not. Excuse me, I know some things. And you know some things, and you know some things, and you know some things. How come Allah says, you know not? <clears throat> uh, every year, in between the years 2000 and 2005, I had to be in uh, Manhattan, New York, on the 10th, 11th, and 12th of September to attend a conference in the United Nations. So on the 11th of September, 2001, I was in Manhattan, New York. And I had two friends coming from overseas to attend the same conference with me in the United Nations. And because they are, uh, uh, they are uh, tourists, I used to live in the States at that time, but they came from overseas to attend the conference and they wanted to look around. So on the 11th of September, 2001, we, the three of us, finished our breakfast in the hotel in Manhattan around 8 o'clock in the morning. And the first thing in the agenda of the conference that we wanted to attend was at 11. So we had a room of, like a, a window of three hours that we are free to do anything we want. So we said, let's take a taxi and go to the World Trade Center. We go upstairs, we take pictures, and then we go to the Statue of Liberty if there's time, and then we quickly uh, go to the uh, United Nations. So at 8 o'clock in the morning in Manhattan, we were stopping a taxi going to the World Trade Center. It, it would take us like half an hour, 25 minutes to reach the World Trade Center. So had a taxi stopped for us, we could have been there at 8.30. 8.40 was the first hit through the Twin Towers. No taxi stopped for us for about half an hour. You know when you're trying to stop a taxi for 10 minutes, how disappointed you will look? What about 20 minutes? What about someone trying to stop a taxi for 30 minutes? I want you to imagine how we looked like. Very disappointed. The whole, like, our program is, يعني, is destroyed. خلاص. Our plans are, are not, we're not going to make these plans. And Allah was saving our lives. I understood the verse in the Quran that says, Sometimes you love things that are bad for you. And sometimes you hate things that are good for you. And Allah knows and you know not. You know not never came in the Quran alone like that. It always came in the context of Allah knows and you know not. So, <coughs> whatever. You have five PhDs. You read 5,000 books. All this knowledge that you have is zero, is nothing compared to the knowledge of Allah, the knower of all. Why don't you take a tissue? Okay? And blow your nose. This phenomena, actually because of the video, the video will always have this like all the time on YouTube and people wonder like, what's this voice? Huh? This phenomenon of the existence of such people who like to spread lewdness exists in every society. In all ages, in every era. And they should be dealt with with firmness because it can corrupt the society. It can corrupt the youth. It can corrupt people. Not only the youth, even people in old age, they can be corrupted with these things. Okay, what if we are living in a society that doesn't apply the Sharia? What can we do? What, what we do here is we resort to advice. We have to advise. We have to speak against this. We cannot 
be vigilantes and take on our shoulders to apply the Sharia in a non-Muslim country. This doesn't work. It's not like that. But here we need to do our duty by speaking against these things. And enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. One of the main obligations on Muslims that when Muslims left behind their backs, they corrupted their own societies, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Verse number 20. If it were, if it were not for God's bounty and mercy, and the fact that he is compassionate and merciful. Did you hear this before? This is actually the third time. So this verse number 20 came also in number, uh, verse number 14 and verse number 10. The verse number 10 says, Verse number 14. And here. If it were not for God's bounty. Allah is reminding us. Three times in 20 verses. That if it were not for God's bounty and mercy. And the fact that he is compassionate and merciful. And then, huh, what would happen? And then Allah doesn't tell us. The, verse, the meaning stops at this point, and then Allah starts something else. Strange. And then, verse number 21 tells us, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Believers do not follow in Satan's footsteps. Do not follow in Satan's footsteps. The one who does so, he will urge to indecency and evil. If it were not for God's bounty and mercy towards you, again, it's coming again in verse number 21. It's as if Allah started to tell you something and then he cut his message, and he's telling you something very important, and then he goes back to the message and continues again. You cut your words for something very important, and then you return to it again. So Allah, in verse number 21, is warning people from following the footsteps of the shaitan. Don't follow the footsteps of the shaitan. We will talk about the shaitan a lot, and about the footsteps of the shaitan. But then he says, and, had, and if it were not for God's bounty and mercy towards you, this is the fourth time we hear this in 21 verses. Not one of you would ever have attained purity, which means you all are all here in the mosque on a Friday night because it's Allah's mercy and bounty on you. Not because of anything personal in you. It's Allah's, Allah gave you this bounty. He chose you. Among those people who live in East London to be in the mosque at that time. That's why when I see you guys, I feel like I'm with the stars of East London. You are the stars. Yeah, Allah, stars are not uh, uh, these guys who are singing and dancing and stripping. They're not the stars. They call them stars. They are not the stars. Prophet Muhammad called you the stars in a very important hadith that says the privilege of a scholar, a knowledgeable person above a worshiper is like the difference between the full moon and a star. People here looked at this hadith that it deals with the importance of knowledge. But actually listen to the words of the hadith. It describes or it gives the example of a knowledgeable person like a full moon and a worshiper as a star. Which means that when the highest assembly, when the malaika look from above on this planet, they see a dark planet. And the people who practice Tawheed, who practice Islam, are shining in the dark. 
full moons, those unknowledgeable people, and stars, worshippers. So if you are not scholars, at least you are stars. This is at least everyone who practices Tawheed, who worships Allah, is a star. And here Allah is warning you, stars, from following the footsteps of the shaitan. Shaitan, Allah warns us from him a lot. Because shaitan never tells you to sin. Never. Shaitan beautifies the sin. Doesn't tell you, drink this because it's a sin. It will get you to hellfire. No, 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 no. He tells you, drink this. It will relief. It will make you feel good. Just once. Don't do it again. Repent afterwards. He beautifies the sin and make it small. Make it look like it's light. Something only once that you will do. <clears throat> he can even show you that it benefits you in religion. It will benefit you even in religion. Yani, why did, how did the shaitan deceive Adam and Eve? He told them, قَالَ مَا نَهَاكُمَا رَبُّكُمَا عَنْ تِلْكُمَا الشَّجَرَةِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَكُونَا مَلَكَيْنِ أَوْ تَكُونَا مِنَ الْخَالِدِينَ He said, God did not forbid you from eating from this tree lest you can become angels or be immortal. Being immortal is something good in yourself, for you physically. But being angels mean what? What are angels? Angels are creatures that do not sin that do not disobey Allah. So Adam and Eve sinned in order not to sin again. They thought that this sin will even good, is even good for them in their religion. So the shaitan comes sometimes, he comes to you from the gateway of religion. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you, فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ When you recite the Quran, seek refuge with Allah from shaitan. Why? I am going to do something good. I'm going to read the Quran. Why should I seek refuge with Allah from the shaitan? Am I going to do, I'm going to gamble? Am I going to do any sin? I'm going to read the Quran. Yes, the shaitan can come to you from the door of the Quran. You can read the Quran and recite with tilawah and then the, you hear the whisper. Your voice is so beautiful. You know what? You deserve to be the Imam of the mosque. Not this Imam with the harsh voice. You know what? You what? Let's do that. Okay. Write something about the Imam. And write this complaint and send it to the mosque. And then write something and maybe a small lie against him. Slander him. And then send this to the council. And so you start like feeling like, oh, if you become... The Imam of the mosque and lead people in prayer. This is so good for the Muslim Ummah. And Palestine will be free. And it's like that. The shaitan comes from the door of religion like that. <coughs> That's why we should take the shaitan as a what? Allah said, Satan is your enemy, so treat him as an enemy. Take him as an enemy. Okay, but he whispers to, oh good. As soon as he whispers, don't give him the chance to continue whispering. Allah says, If Satan should prompt you to do something, seek refuge with God. He is all hearing, all knowing. Always Allah, when Allah speaks about shaitan, usually he ends the verse with, he chooses those two names of him to be in the verses that talk about the shaitan. And it means Allah is all hearing, all knowing. Which means just seek refuge. He hears you. He hears you. Subhanallah. You know what? I think even our verse, yeah, our verse number 21 in Surah An-Nur 
ends with those two names. Wallahu sami'un alim. Allah is all hearing, all knowing. Most of the verses that talk about the shaitan end with those two words. Those two names of Allah. If you want to reflect upon the Quran, you need to have a strong imagination and you need to see the relationship between the end of the verse with the beginning of the verse. Always think about why did Allah choose those two names of him to be to end the verse with? What does he mean? Those are amazing. That's an amazing way to reflect upon the Quran. But the shaitan is not always something that whispers in your ear like that. No. The, the most dangerous shayateen are shayateen al-ins, are the human devils. And Allah says that they are human devils. Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِ In the same way we assign to each prophet and enemy evil humans and evil jinn. Satan's among humans and Satan's among jinn. What are those Satan's among humans? Are those people that appear to us like humans but when they disappear and go home, they have horns and a tail. No, there's nothing like that. That can be your closest friend. That can be your own mother, by the way. When she tells her daughter, don't wear hijab until you get married, she is now temporarily a shaitan ins. Temporarily. Anything that tells you to, to, to disobey Allah, becomes a, anyone who that tells you to disobey Allah becomes temporarily, temporarily a shaitan at that point. Doesn't mean that he himself is a shaitan and that he is going to hellfire, not necessarily. But here he is taking the role of the shaitan because he is telling you to disobey Allah. So be careful of the advisors that advise you wrong advices. At these moments, they become shaitan. The word shaitan in itself is not a creature. He is a job that some people do, that some people work, that people can work as a shaitan and then quit. Iblis was not a shaitan in the beginning. He was a beautiful creature close to the angels. And then when he disobeyed Allah, and then when he vowed to make other people disobey Allah, he became a shaitan. He started to work as a shaitan. So there are shayateen among human beings. Be careful of these. But what about this word, the footsteps of the shaitan? What's footsteps? Yes, the shaitan has footsteps. It doesn't drag you. You don't see someone from the mosque to the uh, uh, pub directly. No, it's just footsteps. It comes gradually, and the shaitan does that. That's why the... the, the um, a poet said, It starts with a glance, and then a smile, and then an appointment, and then a date, and then footsteps, footsteps. Okay? That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say, Do not commit zina, do not commit uh, uh, fornication or adultery. No. He said, don't approach zina. Approaching it because there are things that happen before zina. Don't approach it. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned from the footsteps of the shaitan. What are the signs of the influence of the shaitan? How can I know if the shaitan started to have influence on me or not? Think about yourself. Don't judge people. You're not here to judge others. I don't want you to say, well, like Father Solomon today is talking exactly about my neighbor. No, excuse me. You are here to judge yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who turn on their heels after being shown guidance are duped and tempted by Satan. Which means that if you set back from doing good things to doing bad things, if you set back from being righteous to being a lawbreaker, you break the law of Allah. 
Here you need to understand that the shaitan started to have influence on you. You need to do what? Dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. And throw yourself in the house of Allah. And pray, and pray at night. Remembrance of Allah, always. Is it easy to resist shaitan? Definitely. It's the easiest thing to do, to resist shaitan. Why? Because shaitan is already weak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّ كَيْدَ الشَّيْطَانِ كَانَ ضَعِيفَ In Surah Al-Nisa. Allah says, Satan's strategies are weak, are truly weak. Actually, that's what they say in the verse says. He is weak. When does the whispers of the shaitan click? It's when it coincides with your ego. The most dangerous is your ego. So if your ego is inflated and it tells you to do things and stuff like that and then the shaitan whispers, his whispers click. Otherwise it doesn't click. If you're strong enough, if you have strong iman and, you are, and your ego is under control, the shaitan is nothing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّ عِبَادِي لَيْسَ لَكَ عَلَيْهِمْ سُلْطَانِ In Surah Al-Isra, Allah says, But you will have no authority over my servants. He doesn't have authority on you. And they themselves, the shayateen, the satans, say so to the believers on the Day of Judgment. They say, we had no power over you and you were already exceeding all limits. Which means, you were already ready to listen to us. We did not have power over you. So the shaitan doesn't have any power or authority on you. One more thing here. All the mufassireen that I have read for, they did tafsir to this ayah like that. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ أَمَنُوا لَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Believers do not follow in Satan's footsteps. The one who does so, which means follows Satan's footsteps, he will urge to indecency and evil. They explained it as that the shaitan is the one that urges to indecency and evil, but the wording of the ayah accepts another meaning, which is that the one who follows the footsteps of the shaitan, he himself will be urging indecency and evil. It is as if the ayah is telling me that some people can follow the footsteps of the shaitan until they fall in the lowliness of they themselves be spreading indecency and evil. So don't allow yourself to go that low. That's another meaning of the ayah. That the words accept it. That the shaitan himself... And actually it comes in the context that two verses before was speaking about those who love to see indecency spreading. People who love to see indecency spreading. How long do we still have? Ten more minutes? Okay. The next verse is amazing. You know, in the slander of Lady Aisha, there was among the people who slandered the Lady Aisha was Mistah, the cousin of uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq, her father. And when he heard that, he was actually supporting them and he was donating to them a monthly, monthly pay. So he stopped paying them anything. He did not continue giving them charity. Give charity to people who slander his own daughter, who slander the mothers of the believers, who slander the, 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 yani, 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 the honor of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu So this verse came down saying, وَلَا يَأْتَلِ أُولُوا الْفَضْلِ مِنْكُمْ وَالسَّعَةِ أَنْ يُؤْتُوا أُولِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْيَعْفُ وَالْيَصْفَحُ أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ The verse says, Those who have been graced with bounty and plenty, those who are rich, should not swear that they will no longer give to kinsmen, the poor, those who immigrated in God's way, let them pardon and forgive. Those rich people should not swear not to give the poor. The verse did not even mention that those poor participated in slandering Lady Aisha to make you sympathize with them. 
it mentioned the positive things about them only. The kinsmen, the poor, those who immigrated in God's way, they were muhajireen. Let them pardon and forgive. Those rich people should pardon and forgive. Do you not wish that God should forgive you? God is most forgiving, most merciful. Subhanallah. Pardon in Ya'fu, Al-Afu in the in the Arabic language means to get over the mistake. Safh wal yasfahu, which is forgiving in the English language, is to totally erase it from your mind as if they did nothing. You know what happened? This descended on the Prophet himself who suffered a lot for a whole month when he learned that people are talking about his own wife, his own honor. This descended on him. So he sent to Abu Bakr telling him, come here. You swore not to give your relatives mustah. He said, definitely I did that. And I stopped giving them money. And I swore not to do that. He said, okay, listen to the verse. It's addressing you. The verse is addressing Abu Bakr, not the Prophet himself. Why? Because it goes without saying that the Prophet will forgive. Actually, Lady Aisha herself forgave them. And that's why they were not flogged, because she forgave. Notice the, how merciful was the Prophet How loving, how tender. When Abu Bakr blamed Mistah, he told him, Mistah said, I didn't say anything. Abu Bakr said, but you laughed. He said, I laughed when I was surprised to hear Hassan saying it. Hassan is another companion who also fall into this problem, this mistake. Abu Bakr was not angry for himself. Abu Bakr actually, when he heard the verse, he brought Mistah and he told him, I cut my donation when I learned that Allah was angry of what you did. But as far, uh, but as for now, when I saw that Allah has forgiven you, then you are welcome. And he did not continue giving him the money. He doubled the money. Can you imagine this? Those people were so forgiving. How can one has this ability to forgive? Do you want Allah to forgive you? If anyone here wants Allah to forgive him, please show me your hand. Who wants Allah to forgive him? Thank you. Then you have to forgive. What you did, what you did against Allah cannot be compared to what people did to you. You also did monstrous things about, against Allah. If you want him to forgive you, forgive people. It's hard. But that's why it's very rewardable actually. So if forgiveness is, is recommended in blood, in money, in honor, slander, stuff like that, how about when it comes to da'wah? We see many people sometimes having hard feelings against people just for having different opinions. What's that? Why? They just have different opinions than you. Are you 100% sure that you are the right one that you have the right opinion. Who told you that? Imam Shafi'i used to say, my opinion is the right opinion which is subject to be wrong. And the other's opinion is a wrong opinion which is subject to be right. Yes, expect that your opinion may be wrong, by the way. You have the right to believe that it's right, but not 100%. Be objective. Be objective and be nice with people. Allah spoke a lot about forgiveness in the Quran. وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا فَمَنْ عَفَى وَأَصْلَحَ فَأَجْرُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الظَّالِمِينَ Let harm be requited by an equal harm, though anyone who forgives and puts things right will have his reward from God himself. He does not like those who do wrong. Actually, I will end by this. I was raised in a Catholic school with Christians. For 12 years I lived with Christians. We even had a church in our school. And I saw the Christians always asking uh, their uh, church leaders uh, that they say, we have two verses in the Bible 
and they seem contradicting with one another. One of them in the Old Testament that says, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which means that you uh, can take revenge <coughs> exactly as you were harmed. As you were punished, punish exactly like you punished. You were punished. And another verse in the New Testament that says, uh, turn the left cheek to the one who slapped you on the right cheek, which is, can be called the concept of forgiveness of Jesus. Which one should we apply? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or turn the left cheek to the one who slapped you on the right cheek. And the answer was always no. We as Christians should apply turn the left cheek. Why? Because this is the New Testament. And this is the Old Testament. New Testament abrogates the Old Testament. And this answer, I didn't ever understand it. I didn't like it actually. But when I read the Quran, I found that the Quran is explaining that the two concepts are not contradicting. So I told my, my, my friends, you should read the Quran to explain for you the Bible. It will explain it for you. In Surah Al-Shura, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَمَنْ انْتَصَرَ بَعْضَ ظُلْمِهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَا عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ سَبِيلٍ Which means, uh, and indeed, whosoever takes revenge after he has suffered wrong against the, those, there is no blame. Which means no one can blame anyone who decides to apply an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. On who is the blame? The next verse says, إِنَّمَا السَّبِيلُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ يَظْلِمُونَ النَّاسَ وَيَبْغُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ The blame is on the oppressors who oppress people in the land. What does Allah recommend? The verse Number 30, uh, 43 says, Whosoever shows patience and forgiveness, this is truly recommended by Allah. So Allah here is telling you, you have the right to apply an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but Allah would love to see you forgiving and showing patience. But he's not forcing you to forgive. We are not all the same. In one hand, there is no two similar fingers. Do you think that Allah will treat us as if we are all similar? We're not all similar. Some of us can forgive. Some of us may not be able to forgive. Some of us can be very forgiving, but not every time. And some wounds can be too deep. So Allah is telling us that he loves to see us forgiving. And he allows us to apply the law. Besides that, the law in any country cannot be based on forgiveness. You cannot make the law in this country like that. That if you slap someone on the right cheek and he doesn't give you the left cheek, call the police. Say, he's not giving me the left cheek. You cannot. The law has to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But according to the Sharia, the law has to give a space for forgiveness. So the one who was oppressed should be always able to say, I forgive him, leave him. Amazing. That's amazing. Anyway, um, like that, um, we can stop here. But let me give you a small uh, uh, homework for next time. I want to find the verse. Uh, verse number 27. No. Not this one. Verse number should be 28 or 29. 29. 29. Number 30. Do you have verse number 30? I can't find it with me. Uh, verse number 30. I think it says, it's, well, verse number 28 and 29 and number 30 speak about the third verse, number uh, 30, says that you are allowed to enter public places, which means places that you have something for you inside, benefits inside, okay? That it doesn't, it's not owned by anyone without permission. You cannot stand up in the, uh, 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 at the door of Tesco's and knock 
and say, can I enter? Can I enter? Excuse me. Okay? And the verse says, ليس عليكم جناح أن تدخلوا بيوتا غير بيوتك وغير مسكونة فيها متاع لكم والله يعلم ما تبدون وما تكتمون The verse says there is no uh, blame on you if you enter places which are not inhibited by anyone and you have benefits for you inside which means public places and Allah knows what you conceal in your hearts and what you show to people. What does it have to do with the hukm, with the verdict that you can enter public places without permission? Why Allah ends his verse with this? Allah knows what you conceal in your heart and what you show for people. Try to think about it, reflect, and tell me what you think about it, about that next time. I think it's verse number 30, 29, 29. Verse number 29, okay? Think about it, reflect about it. Why did Allah end it with this?